0: To Maritime Agcast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional, and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events.
1: Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits, and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates, and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com.
0: Today we will be joined by Justin Cantafio, Byron Petrie, and Stacey Russell to discuss farm markets and how they operate in the Maritimes. Justin is the Relocalization Specialist, a member of the Board of Directors with the Center for Local Prosperity, the co-founder of the Canadian Farmers Market and Executive Director of Farmers Markets of Nova Scotia, a nonprofit cooperative of over 40 farmers markets. Before his current role, Justin spent his master's degree living and working on 10 organic farms from Quebec to the Pacific coast, helped manage Atlantic Canada's first sustainable seafood subscription program through off-the-hook community-supported fishery, worked with the Ecology Action Centre to spearhead a Canada-wide program to promote locally sourced food in schools, universities, and hospitals, and connected small-scale fishers and aquaculturists with high-value markets through Halifax's aficionado fishmongers. Byron works alongside his wife, Karina Phillips, his neighbor, Reg Phelan, their friend, Brenly Brothers, and last but not least, their son, Remy, in Prince Edward Island. Altogether, they form Sweet Pea Farm, a mixed vegetable and flower farm that has been part of the Charlottetown Farmers Market since 2015. Stacy has been the president of the Fredericton Boys Farmers Market for the past two years. In addition to chairing the market board, Stacey is also the manager of tourism and events with the city of Fredericton and has been fortunate to work on various initiatives to help foster Fredericton's profile as a market destination. This also included the creation and management of the Garrison Night Market in downtown Fredericton and the launch of the Market Basket, an online market portal to help promote local market vendors who are selling their products online. So I want to thank Byron and Justin and Stacy for being with us today, folks, uh, for taking time out of your uh, busy schedules to talk a little bit about farmers markets here in the Maritimes. Stacey, maybe we'll start with you. Can you tell us just a little bit about your organization and, and what you do so the listeners have a little bit more understanding about where you're coming from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm the president of the Fredericton Boyce Farmers Market Board. So that would be in volunteer life as well. I manage Fredericton tourism. So we're quite actively involved in market communities within Fredericton. So with obviously overseeing the Fredericton Boys Farmers Market, as well as the Garrison Night Market, which was a new Thursday night market that launched back in 2018.
2: I'm mostly a farmer, but I'm a board member of the Shawtown Farmers Market. Uh, I've been a board member for the past year. So I'm relatively new to being in any form of leadership in the farmer's market and stuff. I run a small mixed vegetable farm, and uh, I've been a member of the farmer's market since 2015.
3: My name's uh, Justin. I'm the executive director of farmer's markets in Nova Scotia. We're a nonprofit cooperative of over 40 farmer's markets serving as, I guess, the sector association for the farmer's market sector in Nova Scotia. And I also co-founded Canadian Farmers Markets, which is a national farmers market organization. So I uh, eat, sleep and breathe farmers markets. Happy to chat about it.
0: Excellent. Justin, thanks very much. And and again, I'm very excited to have you folks here today. The farmers market uh, has always kind of intrigued me. Uh, When I was in university, I actually worked for uh, a a local beef farmer who didn't participate in the farmer's market, but had his own on-farm market. And some of the things that I learned in working with him and some of his customers, I think, are very true of the the greater farmer's market system as well. So for for you folks, what's the importance of the farmer's market to your farmer and farm vendors? What what do they get out of it?
2: I'd say... It's our main source of income for us and for some of our vendors, not everyone in our farmer's market. And I forgot to mention, sorry, in the intro, but that I've also been part of other smaller farmer's markets that have kind of come and gone, including one that was unfortunately closed because of COVID. Pertaining to the Charlottetown farmer's market, it is our one steady source of income throughout the year, whereas other things come and go
1: markets are incredibly important it's 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 that sense of community so covid was a massive struggle for farmers markets all across uh, across the world ultimately but what the biggest driving force that we were we were trying to communicate uh, as much as possible to the general public was this is everyone's livelihood. Each vendor at the market, it's their it's their own business, and we want to be able to help support them as much as possible, and do everything uh, to be able to ultimately keep the lights on at these markets, so that people are able to to come in and support all of our vendors through COVID. and Boys Farmers Market, we in a uh, non COVID environment, we'd see upwards of 150 to 200 vendors. Uh, right now, we're uh, we're just over 100. In the summer, we'll see uh, an increase of this into the fall. Our large reason on why why we don't have more right now is, is ironically, our courtyard's under construction. So uh, just as another little bit of a hit in the, <laughs> as we were, hopefully we uh, we start to get through COVID here. What we've also done with the creation of the uh, the Garrison Night Market that I've referenced before—that's a Thursday market—and what we were ultimately seeing was the community starting, in terms of local community, going to their cottages, going away for the weekends. So we wanted to keep those trends going where. Saturday morning, they know to go to the market, get their fruits and vegetables, get everything that they need for their groceries. So, since they were away on the weekends, we started to grow that trend on the Thursday nights so that people still keep with a market trend and supporting those local vendors. So in case they aren't going on Saturdays because they aren't in town anymore, they're doing it Thursday evenings and they'll return to the Boy's Farmers Market on Saturdays in the fall. But ultimately, markets play a massive role of telling the story of the community and those locally made and source products, also local entrepreneurship, and as well of engaging our cultural community of all sorts of different offerings. So it's one of the most important things about a community is it's the first thing I do when I visit any area is to go check out their market.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd have to echo a lot of Stacy's points there. I like to say that farmers markets are older than the pyramids. I mean, they're one of the most basic things that we do at a fundamental human level. We've been coming together to sell our products at public markets and bazaars uh, since we had a surplus of products. So you know, we're talking tens, thousands of years of history, rich history, and their importance cannot be understated today in a modern context for a few different reasons. But one of them is that for a producer, uh, if you're stuck in uh, commodity production, you're suffering from what you know I've I've heard called the commodity curse, where you're straight up price taker. You're not a price setter. But through the uh, direct marketing and transparency and traceability and community building that a farmer's market offers, not to mention just built in quality insurance. We don't need, you know, massive hacks supply management when the, the person's right there selling you what they grew. But that builds uh, deep connections. It's not only financially important for vendors, but it's also some of the only places left in North America where you can still have connections to the people who uh, caught or grew or produced your food. So I think that's that's incredibly important. It's something that we at Farmers Markets in Nova Scotia and then at the larger scale with Canadian farmers markets have been fighting tooth and nail to make sure that municipalities and provinces recognize farmers markets as essential economic infrastructure. Because these are small business incubators and accelerators, they're job creators. There are hundreds of thousands of dollars circulating through farmers markets every week in the Maritimes. And those dollars are not just going to an offshore bank account those dollars are recirculating locally. So you've got economic spinoff benefits that uh, a classic big buck store just cannot offer to its own community. So I think it's just paramount that we continue to to work towards ensuring that provinces and, and and our country as a whole recognize just how important farmers markets are, as well as recognizing that we're going to need a lot of additional auxiliary support to support the people who sell at farmers markets such as, you know, increased processing capacity, transportation networks. There's a lot on our to-do list. Just to get back to the core of that question, um, I, I'm not a vendor, although I've lived and worked on ten farms, all of which sold at farmers markets. And uh, without a farmers market, you'd be you'd be doing farm gate sales only, or, or trying to manage a complex CSA. Uh, not to say that those two things aren't awesome, but a public market can be incredibly important. I can I can see how important it is to you there, Byron. So.
0: Y'all touched on something that I heard back when I was working the the on-farm market. And really the part of the charm, I guess, of either a public market or an on-farm market is actually connecting with the producer or the grower of the food that you don't get in a regular retail type setting. So for you folks, has that connection stayed through online? Are you seeing folks returning to your markets? Are they, you know, I'm guessing they're happy to be there after probably being away from places for a year. Can Any comments on that?
1: Yes. Thankfully, we've been able to continue to operate throughout COVID. It's, it's one of the big reasons. We, we do get asked the question fairly often of why is Fredericton a one-day-a-week market? And the big reason for that is... We want to ensure that when somebody's going and buying their eggs, buying their cheese, but any of their products, that they're buying it direct from the producer. So those farmers are on site. They're working at the market on those Saturdays. So extremely important. It's a, uh, a key item for the Fredericton Voice Farmers Market, as well as the multi-generational. So we have vendors that have been at the market for five, six generations. So uh, there's a connection point uh, with people at the market. Second piece, though, that we created in Fredericton, when COVID hit was we knew that our vendors would be struggling quite a bit and they would not hit their pre-COVID revenue streams until it's still going to be a while yet. So we wanted to be able to find a way to be able to help them. So we created an online portal called the Market Basket. So what this is, is a website, it promotes any local vendors. So of of any shapes or so, like anything that they're selling, as long as they have an, an opportunity to be able to sell it online. And uh, they're listed on this website, uh, which we has been done by Fredericton Tourism. It's all free, but ultimately what we're hoping is it's helping with their lost revenues during COVID, but we'll also give them an additional revenue stream as we get out of COVID.
3: In Nova Scotia, we were actually the first province or state in North America to make the executive call to temporarily cease public markets. Uh, because we were in such an unknown sort of regulatory realm. It wasn't looking doable for a few weeks. It's a devastating call to make. We shifted to online, and we still sold several million dollars worth of product through our farmers markets that we helped get online. And there's nothing wrong with a public market operating an online store. But at the end of the day, the essence of the public market is that community building, that transparency, that storytelling, and, and also just... The way that we build the antidote to mindless consumerism, there is a a lack of a story in the food that's coming from big box stores and a lack of feeling that you're being nourished by a community or by, by producers themselves. And I like to think that there's a ratcheting up of consumer behaviors and you can't click backwards on a ratchet. Once you firmly feel that deep connection with a producer, you have a hard time going backwards. So opening up our public markets and getting people back in there again, that's taken all sorts of wild and, and inventive techniques such as different arrows and directions on the floor, putting up plexiglass and floating barriers, uh, population control and tickers. With over 40 farmers markets, there are over 40 different ways of, of managing traffic flow, but getting the markets back open was has always been our number one priority and now safely keeping them open has been. And we've been, you know, now it was only about two weeks of not operating public markets before we're able to get them going again. And uh, you can tell that the public craves that, that the public needs that. This is a a day and age where we don't have a lot of public institutions left, a lot of places left for people to come together and feel like they're part of something. People are growing increasingly isolated from each other and from their food. So I really think that farmers markets play just such a key role. We've, We've been fighting to make sure that regulations respect that.
2: It's been quite a wild ride uh, through COVID. I don't even know where to start. I'll be speaking mostly about the Shawtown Farmers Market. Unfortunately, I can't speak too much about uh, Summerside. It's been pretty much parallel in the situation. Yeah, going back to March, I guess, when things shut down and so on, our former manager, Bernie, and fellow vendor farmer, Jordan McPhee, had helped out to kind of put us back online because that was the option the only option at that time and it's pretty amazing really and all the volunteers and everyone else who pulled through I mean it was really quite a huge effort including our current uh, market manager Lena who really stepped in to uh, handle all that it's been a big learning curve yeah going through hoops trying to figure out how many people in the building at different times while we were also doing renovations in the market. I can't overstate how much the power of having those connections. Without the regular customers that come and support all our vendors, including myself, who support our farm, it's been amazing. They've come through. It it got pretty dark at some points, I'll say, just because restrictions and pandemic scares of outbreaks. But... Seeing uh, familiar faces, our neighbors and so on really, I think, got us through as a farm and different other vendors as well. Yeah, the connections are invaluable that we've made at the market. All the other business as a farm has been made really from being a face at the farmer's market. That was something I didn't know when I first became a member of the at the farmer's market in Charlottetown, how much that was going to be valuable just being there.
0: So I'll be the first one to admit that I probably don't make it to the Truro Farmer's Market here nearly as much as I should. It's funny, Stacey, I've got a friend in New Brunswick uh, who every Saturday morning, he tweets his photo of him and his wife down at the farmer's market and his cup of coffee and the other couples that they meet with and, and, and pick up their groceries for the weekend or for their group dinner they're having that evening. So it is, I think, really a lot about the connection with the farmers, but the connections with friends and family and the rest of the community. It's, it's almost like, Justin, you said, it's the central meeting place for a lot of folks on a weekly
1: basis. I would actually also say, uh, probably just the fact two of us being a provincial capital, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of political activity that happens there in a good way, in the sense of uh, generally the local M- MLA is is sitting, he would sit at his regular table at the, uh, the breakfast counter, people would come up to him. It's a first name basis, just kind of Same thing with premiers walking around. It's always been the joke of you can tend to get a lot more business done casually on a Saturday morning at The Voice than a regular workday. But also it's the place where people proudly bring visiting friends and family. You start your weekend at the market and that would be in any community. If it's your local market, you want to proudly show it off. And uh, there's different stalls and, and, and locations that each person would kind of tend to, to hit through. For Fredericton, being a university city where one quarter of our population ultimately is, is university students, we tend to see a lot of them flocking down late mornings, late Saturday morning or crawling down the hill. And they've got to get their orange juice and their samosas. Those are the two things. And to a point where years ago, pre my time, vendors might've thought that was a problem where they're only coming and they're only buying this. No, no, they were creating patterns. So that was what was drawing them to the market. And as they then have their own families, children, et cetera, they make the market now a morning tradition where they're coming and they're buying other products, the fruits, the vegetables, their eggs, et cetera. But it all starts with that old hungover uh, crawl down the hill to get your samosas and your orange juice.
0: For sure. And I've only been to the Fredericks market a couple of times, but when I was there with Jeff one time, the the samosas were the first stop. So that's uh, obviously a very popular booth for everyone. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers are hosting a Culling Cattle Timing and Markets webinar on October 26th at 7pm, featuring Bruce Andrews from Atlantic Beef Products, Inc. and Dr. Trevor Lawson of Fundy Veterinarians Limited. Please register at nscattle.ca. The 7th Annual Maritime Beef Conference will occur on October 29th and 30th, both in person in Moncton and virtually, early bird registration ends September 30th. Please visit maritimebeef.ca for the schedule or to register. A Cattle Appreciation Day will be held October 30th at the Atlantic Stockyards Limited, where hamburgers and ice cream bars will be provided for lunch, courtesy of the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Dairy Farmers in Nova Scotia. Please watch nscattle.ca and the NSCP social media for updates for the Appreciation Day. The Sheep Industry Conference hosted by the Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia is occurring November 12th and 13th at the DeBert Hospitality Centre. Registration is required in advance with the deadline of October 29th. For more information such as the agenda and registration form, please visit NSSheep.ca. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are introducing an on-farm preconditioning pilot project later this fall where cattle preconditioning services will be available to members on-farm. Please visit NSCattle.ca forward slash preconditioning for more information. Upcoming Atlantic Stockyards feeder sale dates are every second Tuesday through the fall. A breeding stock sale will be held Saturday, October 30th, and also you can check out all their other sales and features and reports by visiting AtlanticStockyards.com. A reminder that there are now many Nova Scotia programs open for the 2021-2022 year, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program. For a full list, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. Just wondering a little bit too, so as folks get a little bit more connected with their food and where it comes from and all those things. You know, I just actually had lunch today at a, a local shop here in Truro called Bistro 22 and, and Dennis and his gang do a really great job of, you know, sourcing local products. And it's not uncommon to see him there on a Saturday morning uh, sourcing products for his evening. How is The farmer's market community actually help engage the further food community in each one of your locations or maybe in the broader geography.
3: I think farmer's markets are the starting point for a lot of people who are starting to ask important questions. Questions that didn't need to be asked that long ago. But since I would say the the end of the Second World War the massive uh, commodification and corporatization of our food systems, these answers are harder and harder to come by, and I think the types of food and the proliferation of this type of food that's in our food systems right now, largely processed, untraceable food products, is starting to prompt people to start to think about reclaiming uh, their connections with their food, and and more importantly, with the producers and, and transformers of that food. So farmers markets are awesome because they're the gateway to starting those conversations again. You can have anywhere from 20 to 100 plus vendors there, owner operators that are selling their own product that can tell the whole story about you know, how it got there. And I, I like to say, people want to make informed decisions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a little thing that I, I like to do, it's called the ukulele test. Uh, the ukulele test is you have to imagine that, that same annoying little song that's in every YouTube video ever, that same song just you know it everybody knows if you've ever watched a video of puppies or somebody cooking something that song's on so imagine the ukulele song is on and if it's possible can you have a video of what happened in the process and transformation of the food that you're about to eat so an entire video from field uh, or the ocean to your plate and something passes the ukulele test if that music seamlessly blends with the video and it fails the ukulele test if that ukulele music is a little ironic maybe organs should be playing so i like to think that if in an ideal world all food had a story making informed decisions would be a lot easier and i think a lot of people would be a little bit more mindful about what they're eating if they actually could watch a video about how it got there well the next best thing in fact it's even better than watching a video is having that real conversation with your producer. So you have people having these conversations in real time at farmers markets, and then they're going out into the broader food system, asking the tough questions at the restaurants, encouraging restaurateurs and chefs to be proud of the products that they source. You're even starting to see it into the big box stores where they're starting to you know, try to have more emphasis on, on sourcing locally. I think it just builds accountability, but it also promotes uh, relocalization, which we sorely need for a variety of different reasons. I would definitely agree with Justin there
2: that the relocalizing our economy is like paramount. I think it's kind of funny that here in P.E. High, we call ourselves food island, and yet we produce en masse anyways, maybe a handful of crops. And we really do have the potential to be a food island. I mean, I personally prefer the old saying, garden of the Gulf, sounds a little bit more colorful. I prefer that one, but anyway, there's really no excuse. We can grow so much. Locally, we can produce so much. Honestly, with greenhouses now and everything else, um, there's no excuse. See a potato here from Ontario, Quebec. I always say, when people are uh, asking questions about where their food's coming from, and I say, like, by all means, I'm 30 minutes east of here. My favorite certification is drop by the farm. I'll show you exactly. Where it's grown and most stuff, almost all of it's picked the day before. I've had, we've grown melons in the past, and you've had a ripe melon that's picked and a melon that's been artificially ripened. You'll never go back to a grocery store melon ever again.
1: I echo both, both gentlemen. So, so I won't repeat any of that. I think we all, and that's the markets, that's vendors, et cetera. We could probably do a little bit more of a better job storytelling of really kind of informing and, and letting the community really understand that, that importance and, and where are the products coming from. And, and really, we experience as well in our, in our own uh, artist community, et cetera. It's, it's always hard to talk about yourselves. So for a vendor to talk about themselves, it's probably one of the most awkward things. But the general public, we all want to know, and it, and it helps to be able to, uh, to identify with that The other big item I'd say too, is we're starting to see more and more uh, in Fredericton and and other areas where when trying to source products from the market, so for events, so I'll I'll use an example of uh, whether it's skating parties, different things like that, they will go to Coburn's and get the uh, cider from the market. So instead of going to uh, a grocery store and, and sourcing it that way, where possible, larger events, et cetera, are trying to support our local vendors as well and, and, and really get the, those local products. So it's something that's ingrained uh, for us where, wherever possible, anything we do, if we can source it locally and help tell that story about the community, we, that that's, that's always the path we take.
0: So one of the things you folks have brought up quite a bit here is connection, uh, between the grower of the food and the consumer or purchaser of the food kind of leads me to my my next question i know that there's been some question over the year and it's around the the idea of food fraud and whether or not people that are selling the food are actually the producers of the food or maybe they're buying wholesale how do you ensure that the bill of goods that is being sold or marketed by a vendor is in fact what it is and that it, they're not going out and buying a wholesale bag of carrots or, or wherever the case may be. Justin, you brought up quality assurance before. So how do you kind of assure that what's being said is what's actually happening?
3: Yeah, there's two things that come to mind. One is I at a province-wide level. We have something called a make it, bake it, grow it policy. So People who are selling their products uh, need to be selling what they've what they've grown or what they've uh, transformed themselves. There are sometimes allowances for, you know, let's say your elderly na- uh, neighbor on the farm next uh, next to you is selling eggs. Well, Yeah, by all means, maybe maybe don't make that 20 percent more than your table space, and your total revenues for the day. So that make it, bake it, grow it policy is clearly communicated. I think the other thing that's really important is for market managers to listen to their vendors. Vendors are the ultimate police of integrity and not in a snitching kind of way, but rather in a they know how important integrity is to the well-being of their own individual businesses. And it takes one rotten apple to spoil a lot. You've seen what's happened in California and in Ontario, for example. Uh, you get somebody in there selling products that they've uh, imported cheaply from somewhere else. It can really leave a sour note, and takes away one of your strongest competitive advantages as the public market. So, vendors are are quick to say, like, "Hey, there's no way, buddy, zucchinis can be that big already. Come on, let's uh, let's have a little chat with this fellow here." I think vendors do a good job of ensuring integrity. I also think that uh, food fraud and public markets, um, you know, having now established this nationwide organization that food fraud in public markets is really not as big of an issue as the media makes it out to be. I would say food fraud and uh, food safety recalls and uh, just terrible practices in the larger commodity food system is way more prevalent and way scarier than uh, the odd time that somebody gets tempted to sell somebody else's tomatoes in a farmer's market. But that's my perspective. I'm really curious about you guys, uh, Byron and Stacey, in your in your provinces.
2: Here in PEI, at least at the market in Charlottetown, as a cooperative, we have policies in place. I mean, everything has to be labeled. Everything is grown. Understand, and then also, you're allowed a certain amount. I believe it's seventy. It's got to be yours, and thirty percent, you know, allowed to be, say, your neighbor's eggs or something like that. And there have been in the past issues with previous vendors with bananas, you know, or something like that. So we have policies in place now that if you can't source it here in PEI, then it's Maritimes, but that's it. And it just requires a constant vigilance of, yeah, we just check on each other and uh, at the market to make sure that we're all kind of in compliance. And that's also kind of one of the roles as the market manager to make sure those policies are enforced and, uh, that's the case here anyways in Charlotte.
1: We'd be the same as uh, what Byron referenced as well, uh, having rules and regulations in place. And those are all, uh, they're overseen by our market manager. In addition to our market board, we also have our stallholders association as well. So there are, we we, we have two, uh, two bodies with the Fredericton Voice Farmers Market. So in great communication. To my knowledge, at least in the last two years, I've not heard of any issues uh, on our end, but there are strict rules and regulations. And as we get new vendors that, that come to the market, they're approved generally by Our board. And yeah, as as Byron referenced as well, constant of just kind of keeping an eye, reviewing, and and walking through the market each week and making sure that everything seems kosher. And and just like you said, Justin, if there's any vibes and and vendors are great at being able to share that information, we'd be uh, we'd be all over it.
0: So with the I'm gonna say increased popularity of farmers' markets, probably over the last decade, as folks become more and more interested in where their food comes and and the folks that grow it obviously we've seen some expansion of markets Um, i know the trail market here is kind of move locations into a more permanent building as small not-for-profit cooperatives how do you manage with your vendors and with your board on being able to grow with the market but not put yourself in a spot that may put the you know the entire system at risk by making those investments and expansions
1: COVID forced us in a situation where especially on our outdoor courtyard. So for any of your listeners that don't know the size of the Fredericton voice, we could be in a in a non-COVID year. We could probably hit 200 plus vendors, 200, 250. Like, so it's it's a large courtyard area, which we weren't using all of it pre-COVID. Now, once we needed to start separating and moving vendors out, we've, we've started to look at expanding that parking lot. And that's probably will be the case as we uh, look into the fall and, and uh, before it gets cold. So yeah flexibility but but you're right of of making sure that we can we can manage that where it gets uh, for the the garrison night market so that's the Thursday night market that would have started in Fredericton back in 2018 that is completely an open air market so anybody who manages a market you'd probably all be gritting your teeth because it's very high risk (laughs) and it is a rain or shine market to my recollection we've never closed that market so it would be a monsoon would have to come through for us to close that so we uh, we operate at rain or shine it covers uh, two blocks radius and we're probably going to expand that a little bit more uh, looking ahead into 2022 so it's a uh, it's a large market with a very high bill for power to be able to uh, to run the power all along to be able to operate it so yes lots of high risk and uh, staffing for anything in life I always like to say it's uh, one bite of the elephant at a time and that would be the the situation with this as well so uh, there is definitely as we've talked about quite a bit of a desire for markets and experiences and that's why we we just we grow as we can
3: i think it's a really great approach that you guys are taking and yeah that's uh, it's a phenomenal farmer's market in Fredericton I've, I've seen a lot through atlantic canada the Fredericton farmer's market is one of the biggest and one of the most complete in terms of a vendor mix-up incredible array of products and I think, uh, you know, in Nova Scotia, one of the things that we always encourage with our market managers, whether they're existing managers or aspiring managers that are planning a new farmers market is to do what's regionally appropriate, regionally appropriate in terms of your size, your scale, your infrastructure, the amount of vendors you have, your vendor composition. Some markets rely more heavily on, on non-food vendors, your crafters and your artisans that can be so incredibly important to farmer's markets. Some markets, uh, you know, don't have any infrastructure at all. They're just a pop-up outdoor market. I mean, at its core, a farmer's market is an animation of space. It makes a parking lot be the coolest place you could imagine going to. And then when it's done, the tumbleweeds drift down the road and you're like, what was there? It's, it's incredible how each farmer's market can be its own unique place. And expanding a farmer's market we only encourage that to occur if, if it makes sense for your own unique context and it makes sense for your vendors, because at the end of the day, a public market should only exist to help vendors optimize their sales. Uh, that is the ultimate objective of most public markets. Obviously, you have, you're have accountable to creating a unique shopping experience and social experience for your patrons and customers who come through, and you want to make sure that you are excellent. Uh, peers in the community that uh, the spin-off benefits of having people there is uh, benefiting everybody, but your core objective really is to optimize sales for your vendors. So if you're expanding just to expand and suddenly you went from this really cool animation of space to a spot that seems a little too sparse, that energy or that vibe can be lost. So it's about really uh, making sure that you're curating a unique experience, an unforgettable experience that's easy for people to incorporate into their lifestyles. So we have some farmers markets that are just tiny, you know, maybe seven or eight vendors in a church overlooking the Bay of Fundy. Well, that's a top-tier farmers market in terms of experience, and the vendors are still making a good amount. Whereas we have some farmers markets that have over 150 to 200 vendors, and and that does the trick too. That can be a year-round indoor farmers market, bay doors for unloading your veggies. You know, it's it's what makes sense for you and your vendors. And I don't think there's a ton of risk normally now. COVID has put some markets in a precarious position. But for the most part, uh, markets have been expanding as they need to. We went from about 25 member farmers markets a few years ago to over 40 in a short amount of time. So we now in Nova Scotia have the most farmers markets per capita in Canada. There's lots of room for expansion, but you don't need to expand just for expansion's sake. So
2: here in PEI, it's kind of a mix. Mostly Summerside and Charlottetown were kind of In interesting situations, and I'll speak more specifically to Charlottetown, with regards to like expanding as the market grows, I know that it's always been an issue. There has been anything negative. People always say, oh, it's really crowded at the Charlottetown farmer's market, which for the most part is kind of its character. For reasons I I won't go into publicly, just we own the building, but we don't own the land. So it makes for... Uh, interesting predicaments with regards to expansion. But it also made it tricky, again, with COVID, how do you separate people six feet apart? It really lowered how many people we could have in the building. It was already a very tight space to begin with. So a lot of our plans for expansion and stuff have been halted in the past couple of years because of uh, our unique situation. Um, So anyways, for the time being, for better or for worse, we're kind of stuck where we are but we still do have the farmers market outside in the parking lot during the summertime and i truly appreciate those outdoor farmers markets as well i used to be part of the one that's downtown in Charlottetown on sundays and that one's going great as far as i can tell i haven't been there this year they've now closed off the street i i love closed off streets to cars (laughs) i know in the fall We have Farm Day in the city, which is essentially that Sunday farmer's market, but kind of a bigger one, big hurrah. And that's really before COVID. That was really like the busiest day of the whole year for everyone. And it was a great time to see the whole streets blocked off and people walking around. And so that's the case every Sunday, rain or shine. They did well for COVID. I mean, that you're out in the open. It is a bit of a windy place. I definitely had, I've chased down my own tent a couple of times down the street there. And unfortunately though, that is also was kind of the nail in the coffin for our closest market, which was in an old train station. And uh, it was cute because it had all these tiny rooms, but it was absolutely impossible to separate people six feet apart. It was already a logistical nightmare in terms of where to put vendors before, but that was really kind of unfortunately the aftermath uh, that we uh, lost that one. But despite that, now we have a market in Montague, which I'm going to this evening. So that is open. But yeah, COVID has been a real challenge in terms of logistics and with regards to expansion. So the outdoor markets have been doing well here in PEI, but inside we're both kind of in buildings that it's very uh, challenging to expand.
1: I was just gonna quickly chime in to Byron. We, we, we run the same challenges in Fredericton in the sense of we lease the building, from the province. And we have permission to use the outside, which is a parking lot for provincial employees throughout the week. So it can get to be a little challenging and kind of trying to figure it all out. As with with anything in life would encourage, I think markets, there should be a collaboration within markets kind of, and and that was happening during COVID of being able to talk and some of the challenges, et cetera, because if, if one market's hitting it, chances are there's others that that are as well, and if there's ways we can help, I, I think that that's uh, something important to look at.
0: Here's the market report for September 17th, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limit, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.34 per kilogram, down 8.5 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 8.5 cents as well from last week to 2.25 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was two thirty-two per kilogram, down 9.6 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price, Atlantic beef products was $2.63 on the rail, an increase of six cents from the previous week. And Ontario live sear sold for $1.58, moving down three cents from last week. And a Quebec rail price was $2.70, up two cents from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stockyards sold for 91 cents, an upward change of four cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.57, up seven cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 78 cents, down two cents from the prior week and 76 cents, Quebec moving down one cent. Good Dairy Bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic Stockyards averaged $108, up $24. And Good Dairy Beef Bob calves averaged $127, down $43 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were down one cent to a price of $1.19 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.10, an increase of nine cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland lamb is $10 and 70 cents per kilogram and mutton sits at $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average 236 per pound at 56 pounds, ranging from 215 to 245. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average 286 per pound at 58 pounds, ranging from $1.75 to 330. For 65 to 79 pound lambs Atlantic stockyards, they average $2.85 per pound at 71 pounds. And the same weight category in Ontario averaged $2.67 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from $1.05 to $3.20 per pound. Use at Atlantic stockyards range from $145 to $255 per head. Ontario use average $1.85 at 131 pounds and range from 50 cents to 35. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. I look at especially the Toronto the Farmers Market, which I'm most familiar with, obviously. You know, I think the market moving into an older building that would have otherwise been torn down or demolished actually keeps some of those community heritage type buildings up and standing and being put to good use rather than clearing it and putting up another parking lot. One of the other things too, I, I think is kind of interesting. You know, we've seen, especially in Nova Scotia, and I assume it's the same in PEI, and New Brunswick is over the last four or five, seven years, maybe we've seen a big expansion in the wine industry and craft brew industry and local distilling as well. So wondering from your point of view, how you're able to integrate those vendors into your market system, the demand for those products, and even whether, whether or not they can make those sales outside of the fairly highly regulated uh, liquor sales sectors here in, in the Maritimes.
1: I think it's the same situation with with all three provinces. That unfortunately, we we are not currently able to sell craft beer at farmers markets. However, we can sell spirits, wine, and cider. So it's a challenge. It's something. Uh, Fredericton, we've positioned ourselves as a craft brewing capital of Atlantic Canada. We've we have the most tap rooms per capita in the second to, in the country, and yet we can't sell craft beer at our farmers markets. And it's something that. Across New Brunswick, we all feel the pain. We'd like to see those rules and regulations change. How we are able to help support our craft beer industry in Fredericton through the Garrison Night Market is we actually have a tasting room, which is one could say part of the market. One could say it's next to the market, but it is right there as part of your market experience. So where you're able to then sample those products and then hopefully either go to the tasting room and purchase it, but ideally stay downtown and go sit on a patio and uh, buy a drink and continue to keep that money right in the local downtown economy and, and support those craft breweries. So it's we'd much rather have the craft brewer there on site, but in, uh, in lieu of that right now, we've been able to find that, that solution for the time being.
3: Stacey, you'll be pleased to hear that Canadian farmers markets, uh, I just finished a letter yesterday and put the pressure on the last two governments left in the whole country that uh, are not allowing all craft alcohol sales in public markets, New Brunswick being one of them. In Nova Scotia, we uh, successfully lobbied the Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation, which is a crown corp that regulates the distribution and sale of, of alcohol to allow a sampling of craft alcohol in farmers markets in the mid-2000s. It was quite nation-leading at the time. And then by 2006 or 7, we were able to have the sale of the products. So it began the first time that you could sell this product as a craft brewer, whether you're making spirits or wine or mead cider beer, uh, outside of your place of production, which massively opened up opportunities for those folks to get out there and market their product. Uh, and what followed suit was nothing short of impressive. I mean, we've had a massive proliferation and explosion of uh, craft alcohol production in this province in New Brunswick is right up there as well. Now we have the most craft breweries and most farmers' markets per capita in this province. And uh, I think those go hand in hand is just allowing people to actually, you know, interact with their brewers and and with those smaller, uh, you know, startups that don't necessarily have a tons of money to put into massive brick and mortar institutions that have really awesome patios. Sometimes you're starting just on the core essence of brewing, which is making a product and bringing it to market. So that's been really big for us. I consider personally at Craft Alcohol to be one of the major reasons why Nova Scotia has a thriving agritourism industry right now. We have the good cheer trail, for example, that shows you places where you can pick up craft alcohol as a tourist, but also I consider it the sort of bread and milk of the grocery store, so to speak. Craft alcohol can often be one of those uh, anchor institutions within the public market to drive people in. If if you know that you can get your fruits, your veg, your baked goods, uh, your breakfast, and that afternoon's dockside cold beverages all in one place. You don't need to go anywhere else. And so I think that's really, really important that provincial governments recognize just how important it is to stop it. And I'm just going to put in one more interesting plug because it might be interesting to the listeners here of the podcast, but Nova Scotia is actively also campaigning and lobbying the government to allow for the sale of micro-cultivated cannabis in farmers markets, because let's be honest, uh, they're controlled products often sold in the same place. In Nova Scotia, you can only buy cannabis at a liquor store we've got you know people with micro cultivation licenses many cases they're small-scale farmers who are already selling at farmers markets we want small-scale farmers to be able to have a sustainable livelihood and micro cultivation licenses were created to help create more sustainable on-farm income so if you can't sell that directly and instead you're you're suffering from that commodity curse getting like a dollar per gram when you could be selling for seven plus and actually telling your story of your unique product that's probably better than some mass produced stuff, I think goes both ways. So, And I think it's the, the taboo is gone. The stigmas over, like cannabis and, and alcohol are, are here to stay. So why not bring them into the farmer's markets?
2: i love to see something like that as well in PEI. I don't think there is anyone in PEI who has a micro cultivation license. I would love to see more of that just to have another cash crop for farmers. About the liquor license. And with uh, regards to farmer's markets, we as well are fortunate that we also are able to sell craft beer and spirits and cider. Um, We have, I think three, sometimes four vendors at our markets in Charlottetown in particular. And it's a great boom. Like it makes our farmer's market kind of a one-stop shop. I think we're the one of the only places where you get your groceries, have a beer and supper all in one place. So It makes for a unique experience
0: So maybe just one last quick topic as we wrap up the conversation here today. It's come up here uh, quite a few times that public markets and farmers markets are a core part of the community. They help build businesses not only within them, but around them by encouraging people to shop and, and be local and support their local vendors and restaurants. As we come out of COVID here in the next still 24 months, probably, you know, how do you see farmers markets and those public markets playing a role not only in economic recovery, but sustainable economic recovery as well?
3: I'll say that farmers markets are incredibly important institutions in that they represent some of the last places left where you can still get food with a story, still get food that you know is responsibly produced, still have connections with your producers, uh, and that we need them more than ever as we work towards making sure the industrial food system doesn't completely take over. I think. Consumers want renewed connections they want to know where their food comes from. They want responsible production. And, you know, if you're a a medium to large scale uh, farmer listening to this, I mean, the proliferation of farmers markets and the increased consumer confidence that comes from renewed connections with our food, also the ability for a region to brand and market itself so that you're not just producing commodity food to sell to some random commodity market, but rather these are Annapolis Valley apples. These are Time Valley potatoes. Suddenly you start to have food with a bit of an added element to it that allows you to distinguish your product in the marketplace. I'd like to say that public markets benefit small-scale producers, but they also create opportunities for place-based marketing for all levels so that we're not relying on an international commodity market and and, and prices that are set in other parts of the world, that a farmer is at the whim of of some commodity price index from New England or from somewhere in Europe. We need community-based economic activity more than ever. We need economic relocalization and decentralization more than ever so that our dollars, which are becoming scarcer, go to work for us. When a government provides a bailout, it shouldn't be just a bailout. It should be a stimulus package. And the only way that government dollars can become a stimulus package is if you have the regionalized economic infrastructure in place for those dollars to move around and change hands and support multiple businesses. And that's exactly what public markets do. I think that we're really strategically positioned to be playing a key role moving forward.
1: I echo all Justin's. Items, the, the one thing I would throw in, and, and this is to just to continue the momentum of, we're seeing it all across the world, there is a passion to support local. It goes back to uh, my comment too, again, about we all need to do a better job in storytelling. So storytelling, explaining there's a connection point. People want to keep their money locally. Uh, let's make it as easy as possible for them. It's short of us, ultimately, and maybe that's what we need to say is stop going to Amazon. But it's, it's literally buy your products, buy everything that you possibly can locally and help support our local economy. We want to see everybody get through this and and be with us on the other side. So uh, keep your money local wherever possible.
2: Echo, echo those points. I'm constantly amazed when I hear multinationals talking about deregulation and free markets. And the only free market I have ever seen is at a farmer's market. It's unbelievable how many businesses I have seen start from nothing at a farmer's market and grow into something. You know, in so many restaurants, butchers, farmers grow. You want economic activity, start funding and supporting
3: farmers markets.
2: Because, and all those folks that I've seen grow spend their money here. They develop their products here.
3: If you want to
2: do something radical tomorrow, just buy something as simple as supporting your local economy. That is so important these days because the carbon burnt and the oil consumed and simply the exploitation of our grander economies is based on this ever-expanding, ever-larger way of doing things. I, and I hope we keep this momentum of food security on people's minds because it's only during crisis that people go, oh, wait a minute, where am I gonna get my food? I, we had started a CSA a couple of years ago and we got some interest, but it wasn't that huge. We had to pivot when COVID happened and we had to go from trying to support other restaurants to starting a CSA again. And the interest we got was three times as much and i'm seeing it again this year that there was interest and it was great and i'm wanting to build on that and i see our customers our regulars at the farmers markets they're also more aware and more supportive of what we're doing i really would love to see and i think stacy's right with this storytelling it's so key unfortunately it's like not our strength at least mine I was personally that uh i just love to farm and if i could just farm that'd be the best and it's true we do need to tell stories because that's how people remember things as people that's how people take things in it's not in throwing facts at people even though that has shock value yeah we can't be always in crisis mode or reacting but a, a farmers market is a great place for anyone who's concerned about what the future is or how their community is to connect with your neighbors to connect with trying to move in a nonviolent way towards something much, much better than what we, we're existing with right now.
0: So with that, Brian, Justin, Stacy, thank you very much. And I think restate something Justin said early on, farmers markets and public markets were around long before the pyramids. And it sounds like with the leadership of you folks and your vendors, that they'll probably be around a long time after the pyramids as well. So thank you all very much for being with us today. And we look forward to any discussions we might be able to have in the future. Thanks, Brad.
1: Thank yeah, you.
3: Ryan. Thanks so much. Thanks
1: everyone. Thanks. Don't want to miss any future episodes. Subscribe to a Maritime Agcast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform.
0: This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri Commodity Management Association director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah dahl Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.